Welcome to the Drummer's Pathway, the podcast about music, life, and the creative process. Hello, I'm Michael Scott, and welcome to the Drummer's Pathway podcast. This episode features my conversation with drummer and educator Dave Lewitt. Growing up on Long Island, New York, Dave found his inspiration from listening to the music of the fusion and progressive rock era in the 1970s, where he discovered his passion to become a drummer. He pursued his study at the Conservatory of Music at Purchase College in New York. After graduation, he went on to establish a professional career as a freelance drummer and educator. Currently, in addition to maintaining a steady roster of students, he is also on staff at Purchase College's Conservatory of Dance program, where he is actively involved in working with the Modern Dance program as an accompanist. Dave is also the author of three drum method books, including his most recent, The Odd Time Drumming Book. In our conversation, we talk about his work in the Conservatory of Dance program and how it involves a creative approach and adaptation to the challenges presented. We also discuss his experiences as a freelance musician and why he has chosen to focus on education at this stage of his career. And now, my conversation with Dave Lewitt. You grew up in Long Island, New York, and you developed a passion for drums and eventually which led you into a professional career and work as an educator. So where did this all begin for you? Well, okay, the the day I decided I was going to be a drummer, I was homesick from school. I had a couple of rulers and my mom's sewing tin, which I proceeded to destroy over the course of the day, banging on it. And I was lying on my side. I still remember the moment. Traditional grip, which is how I started, with the two rulers on the wall. And I kind of got a mama data roll. I got like a bounce roll going, kind of, you know, un, unintentionally. And I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. I think I'll do this the rest of my life. And that's that's kind of how it started. But, uh, you know, I, I did, you know, more or less the... Uh, you know, I took lessons. I did the elementary school band. I didn't do band in middle school, which I which was a mistake. That was actually at the behest of my teacher. I think he wanted to kind of, you know, didn't want to distress. I don't know. I, I, I jumped out for sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and then I jumped back in at ninth grade. That was kind of a mistake because I wasn't really, wasn't used to following conductors. I could read, I could play, but I wasn't used to being in that environment. So I was a little behind the the, the eight ball mm-hmm. when that happened. Um, but, uh, you know, I did, I did the... Uh, you know, the, the high school band thing, marching band. At the time that I went off to college, I wasn't really a great jazz player. I kind of went with the class. I went in the classical contemporary mode. Um, I started studying mallets with my teacher, Al Pollock. He's a fairly well-known teacher from, you know, back in the 60s, 70s, 80s um, in this area. It's funny because uh, when I mentioned his name, you know, I was like, that's my teacher. Al was my teacher. <laughs> and then I mentioned his name and like, oh, I studied with him. And like, oh, I, you know, all these guys studied with him. So he was he was a big Broadway guy um, back in the day. And uh, so so I did the mallet thing. I did the timpani thing. I went to Purchase College um, for, you know, for classical percussion, um, where I also did drum set. The drum set was always part of the whole thing. At the time that I went to school, your options were 
you know, classical programs, Juilliard, Manhattan, Purchase College, wherever you could get in. You know, the the only drum set programs were North Texas State that I was aware of or Berkeley. And I wanted to stay in the New York area, so I, I just I ended up going to purchase, doing the classical thing there um, while playing drum set, playing in bands and doing all that. And then, uh, you know, I just did undergrad work. When I graduated from college, there weren't... Getting a master's degree wasn't really something that I considered. Purchase College did not have a master's program, and I was eager to get out of school and start working. I ha- I was in a band. I had a local band already, so, you know... In retrospect, it might have been good to stay and get the master's. I wish I had it. After graduating from undergrad, I went out and I've been working ever since then, just, you know, freelance. Well, anybody who's listening to this knows what that could potentially entail from, you know, drum lessons, bands, you know. I also play dance classes. I accompany modern dance classes with a percussion and drum set set up. So that's sort of been my straight gig. I've been doing that since I got out of college at Purchase College, where I went to college. So I never really left. But I've been on staff there as a dance class musician for for a, lo- for a long time, since since the mid, mid to late 80s. I went to college to study jazz performance, and so that was sort of my background. But up, everything up to that point was kind of more along the lines of classical, which is something that I actually developed a, a passion for, although I haven't continued much beyond high school. But... The thing I found for me that was a real advantage about the classical background is that it teaches you how to listen in terms of a larger ensemble. And it teaches you the value of each individual piece, because there are many times, as you know, where sometimes you may have 87 bars of nothing and then a couple of cymbal crashes and other percussion elements, but they're essential in terms of the big picture composition. And so for me, that's one of the things that I found is that the classical bucket really taught me reading and discipline and touch because the touch and approach on classical can be very different than the touch and approach sometimes in a drum set situation. So for me, I really value the time that I put into that that classical experience. And it's something now that I'm getting into doing more work in terms of playing in like pit bands for orchestras, for musicals and that all of that skill set that I developed when I was in high school is starting to come back and it's something that I really value. So collectively, all the things that you do really help to provide you that experience, open you up to many different concepts and ideas. And even though it may not be something that you're using right away, having that in your toolbox, I think is a real value, something that can be really essential. So I really admire and sort of respect a lot of the things that you've gone through because I know that all of those elements have all paid off for you in different scenarios and situations. Well, well, some of the best parts about being in that classical program at one point we did uh we did uh petrushka yep. with with the dance company and we also did the rite of spring just uh, unto itself and i got a chance to play in both of those and you know in rite of spring there's a lot of percussion but there's a lot of time where you're not playing and same thing with petrushka even more so with petrushka um so we would have mini scores you know, so while they were rehearsing the violins or the bassoons or whatever, we would have the score and we would follow the score. So it was, uh, you know, 
when you're in high school band and he's working with the sax players, you're, you're back there messing around with your friends. Yeah. But, but when you, you know, so it was, it was a really interesting uh, experience to, to, to watch scores and listen to people rehearse and, and see, and see the, all the music and how it's all laid out. You know, it, it kind of gets you out of your, your little percussion bubble, you know, where you're just doing your parts and it also helps you to understand where your parts fall in the, in the geography or the, 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 the space that everything's happening which is a lot of fun. It's definitely, um, requires a good sense of discipline and it's something that is really an art form that I definitely admire and respect. Now, one of the things that you talked about, um, you had gone to purchase college in terms of their uh, music program, but later on, you went and you worked there particularly with the uh, the the dance program and i'm really interested in what that experience is like and how you ended up in that situation i often wonder how i ended up in that situation myself michael <laughs> that's a joke when i went to purchase college i you know my grandmother was a painter but i didn't know much about painting i i made a lot of artist friends i i was educated by them um about painting how to look at painting how to understand painting same thing with dance. I, I had no, you know, dance to me was like, you know, the Lindy and, and, you know, chubby checkers. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, I learned more, you know, about what modern dance is about, what ballet is about. And at one point, a friend of mine started playing classes. My friend, Max Vanderbeek He's like, Oh yeah, I'm playing dance classes. I'm like, what is that? And he said, well, why don't you come and check it out? So I went and checked him out and, you know, saw what he was doing. And then he said, Hey, why don't you try it? So I, I started doing it originally started playing dance classes like sitting on a on like a packing cloth with a bunch of arm glocking and a slit drum and you know it's kind of weird hand percussion maybe maybe you know it was just that you know i didn't really know how to approach it over time you know i i, I my setups got bigger they got a little more drum set e i started adding a bass drum a cymbal and eventually i morphed into it just being mostly drum set i do use djembe sometimes but what's interesting is and this is funny because the universe does listen to you my the band i was in when i got out of college was like it was like a reggae fusion we did we covered bob marley and reggae classics but we also did our own reggae oriented stuff funk oriented stuff and i always said you know i want to play music that people will dance to meaning social dance like we have you know a, a band that people come and dance because it's yeah. just a party i did not specifically mean modern dance <laughs> or ballet but the universe heard me i guess and and i so i started doing that and it you know it became the gig that i was going to do until something else happened and other things happened but it was still there so i'm still doing it it's interesting to be a great dance accompanist you don't necessarily have to be a great musician Sometimes really amazing musicians make horrible dance class accompanists. And sometimes not the greatest players are great accompanists. So it's this sort of weird world where you have to be able to see the movement, what they're doing, what the combination is, where the high points of it are, where the quiet points of it are. Is it rhythmic? Is it flowing? Is it jagged? Is, you know, where's the agogic stress in the movement? Where's the jump? Where, where do they go to the floor? You interpret that on your drums or on your whatever instrument you're playing a lot of people mo more pianists do this sort of stuff um and, and it you know the movement the visual dictates how you react to it musically so it's a, that's a little abstract but uh 
that's kind of what it, you know it, it's uh, you've heard of the term mickey mousing right like in cartoons you know yeah. mickey mouse gets hit on the head you hear a crash so if you take that concept basic concept you kind of mickey mouse the movement then you're good to go and you kind of go off that your decision in the moment might be okay i'm not going to accent where they jump you know i might do silence when they jump you know um or i might do something different but if you can see the movement and understand the flow of the movement and hopefully there's rhythm to it so you know usually there's counts to it then then you know it's something that it's an acquired skill but it's something that can be a lot of fun and you know hope if you're doing it right you're going to support the dancers uh, somebody once said to me you know when i first started doing it my my mentor for that stuff he's like well what kind of music would you want to hear if you were doing that? I thought that was very insightful. Mm -hmm. And then he also said, make every class an event. So, you know, I go in there guns blazing. You know, I try to be sensitive musically. Some of the teachers I work with want me like, you know, they want rock and roll full volume the whole time. Other teachers want it a little more tail, you know, a little more subdued. So you have to kind of read the instructor. You have to kind of know the style. If, is it a gram class that's got a special, a, a unique kind of drive and aggressiveness to it? Is it a Cunningham class, a little more cerebral? You know, you can mess around with them a little more. I've never really played a ballet class on drums, so I can't talk to that. But, uh, you know, that's been my 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 straight gig. I don't, if you ever look on Facebook, every once in a while, I'll take an overview of my drum set and I'll say, back to my straight gig, yeah. <laughs> you know? And people are always like, what? What is that? I don't get that. So... Yeah, that's that's been my that's been my straight gig for a long time. I uh, did uh, I worked with a, a wonderful choreographer and instructor who recently passed away. His name was Kevin Wynn. At one point years ago, I was composing, quote unquote, and I did some pieces for him as well. Um, and we eventually went uh, we went to a dance festival in China a few years ago, and that was a lot of fun. In those situations, it's primarily improvisational as opposed to compositions. Right. So it's almost like a free jazz element in a way where you're really just looking at the situation, reading the people involved in that and collectively trying to work together to create the art form. Exactly. And it's it it can vary. Yeah, you just the the main job of an accompanist is to support the dancers so you know and it depends on how advanced they are like so when i play like i play for the same class for a whole semester so say it's a gram class they just start to learn the choreography in the first couple of weeks and then as the semester progresses they they know it and then so the way i play for them when they're learning it will be very different than the way I play for them when they know it, because then it's a collaboration. When they're learning it, I have to support the rhythmic structure of whatever the movement is. And some styles of use of, of dance are more codified and more rhythmically precise than others. But once the dancers know the choreography, then it becomes a collaboration because they're not depending on me to show them where the jump is or where the downbeat is. So that's kind of fun when it gets to that point. You know, and in those situations, are you more in control or is it the dancers taking the lead and you're following them? So in African drumming and African dance, the drummer is the leader. The drummer trigger, uh, signals when the new dance comes in. He, he, uh, he uh, creates the energy and the drive. Exact opposite in modern dance. The, the, the movement 
is the driving force and you have to support the movement. So what you're playing has to be appropriate for the movement. So if they're doing something really small on the floor, you know, with the footwork, some fancy footwork, you know, you can't be doing some sort of Led Zeppelin kind of groove. You have to emulate what the movement is. So it's the Mickey Mouse thing. You got you have to kind of understand what the energy level is of the movement. Is it rhythm? You are you going to be driving it? Sometimes the movements are very kind of flowy, and it has to be a little more rubato, like it's, which is interesting for drums. You yeah. know, I mean, on drums, you know, how do you do it? You do it through rolls. You know, at the end of the phrase, you're going to hold it just for a split second longer before you go back in. So there's, you know, sometimes it can kind of fly in the face of how we're trained because we're trained click track. It's got to be right the whole time. You know, a lot of it is that, but sometimes there has to be a little bit more flow. I play some classes where there is there are no counts for the first half an hour, so I have to kind of just follow the the uh, you know the energy and the where the movement goes and just kind of like that's more like a free jazz thing, even though it's, I'm not doing jazz, but it's uh you know I'm just kind of reacting to the movement. Sometimes I'll take my I have a a. a uh, roll of the dice app on here you know i roll the dice it, it comes up at 11 I, i'll play in 11 you know not an obvious 11 you know i'll be thinking 11 playing in 11 you know okay I, you know they, they're still they're still moving around out there okay do it okay seven i'll switch to seven and this is all very spatial gongs bell plates you know rolls and stuff but i'm trying to you know they're not giving me any counts so i'm gonna make it fun for myself so i try to react to the movement while I'm thinking in whatever time signature I might have chosen to do at that moment. It's a lot of fun. I mean, I can't, uh, sometimes I'm doing it. And I'm like, I can't believe this is my, my straight job doesn't pay well, but it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun. And the kids are fantastic. These kids, a lot of these kids have gone on to very successful dance careers. You know, dance is a tough, tough field, man. That's a crazy field to go into, but they're very talented and it, it's, it, it's, it definitely feeds my soul to be around so many young people that are so driven i mean they're they're hungry you know they they're working so hard and i remember you know i remember that in myself when i was a music student um i try to carry that forward now M not as much practicing as i'd like but it's just very inspiring to be around people that are really you know that young people that are you know at the beginning of the of the journey that we've been on for so long now in that case, you're an accompanist that's really leading a lot of these sort of things. But as an educator yourself, do you find yourself in the position where you have to motivate and inspire the people that you're working with in that environment in order to help them achieve getting to the next level or overcoming some challenges that they're finding in their own steps? Now, are you you mean in, with the dancers you're Correct, talking about? Correct, yes. Well, yeah, yeah um, it, it's it's... It's a weird sort of relationship. Um, I'm there to support them. Um, the most I can really do for them, besides supporting the energy and the intention of the movement, is to show them where the maybe where the where the high spots are. Where is that jump? Where is that twirl? Where is that spin? You know, it's almost like I'm connected to the instructor, but then I'm also connected to the students. I'm I'm, I'm taking the class with them. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm getting they're, they're presenting those the, the, that that routine. I hate to use that word, but they're presenting the, the choreography to them. They're learning it. I'm seeing it. I'm deciding what I want to play to support that. So it's you know, I'm have I'm the liaison between the teacher and the students 
half my body, half my brain, half my soul is part of with the dancers and half my body, half my brain, half my soul is trying to support the teacher and understand what they want. And dance teachers are, you know, they can be a little nutty as, as musicians can also be nutty. What's funny, because I was going to comment as well, in those situations, do you ever find conflict and vision between how you think something should be and, and how the instructor visualizes what their intention is? Not as much these days, because I've been doing it for so long, but sometimes, like, I was playing a class a, couple, a week or so ago, and, I, you know, I was coming in with the attitude from what I, the kind of things I do for a gram class, but it was a Cunningham. It's a very different style. Okay. So Merce Cunningham like wrecked it for everybody because he would choreograph his pieces without music. And then on the night of the performance would choose any number of different pieces to play for that. He disconnected in a way, the choreography from the music. So I played for one, cl this class uh, with an instructor and I was kind of loud. And she says, can you can you do it? Can you do the next one quieter? <laughs> and it's like, you know, that's a great word, man. <laughs> that's a great word. But it but it was like it was kind of like, wake up, dude. This is not a Graham class. This is not, you know, contemporary modern. This is a Cunningham class. And I was like, oh, okay. And then then I then it all worked better. I brought everything down, you know. And and she said generally, you know, so for my classes we want to go on the quieter side. So next time I go in there to play for her, I kind of know. Years ago, a, a good friend of mine just passed away. Her name was, uh, she was known as Sally Stackhouse, or also Sarah Stackhouse. Very famous dancer in the dance world. So if you're famous dancer in the dance world, nobody knows who you are. But she was wonderful. And I, you know, I remember seeing her dance. I always remember the gestures of her hands were so powerful. It, it stayed with me for years and years. And she recently passed away. She was you know, in her 80s. But she used to come up to me while I was playing her class, you know, and and she'd point at like, the bass drum and she'd say don't use that one <laughs> like what but that's the one i use the most she's like don't use it i'm like okay so you know sometimes that happens if you're more experienced you kind of have a intuition about what's going to work and a, a really experienced accompanist usually the dad the instructor doesn't have to say anything they just kind of know what to do young you know that those sort of things happened in my when i first started I worked for another guy, very famous dancer in the dance world, Mel Wong. But I remember he was a hoot because he would give his combinations. He wouldn't count it in like eights or fours. He would just count continuoso, and it would be like a 37-count thing. He would just count one, two, three, 36, 37. Let's do it. And I, <laughs> I didn't know what to do. So at one point, he turned to me after an exit. He said, can you play something good for this next one? <laughs> so it's like, okay, I'll try. They can, you know, it's, it's a weird world, man. And trying to explain to anybody, which I guess I'm doing to you, is really hard. It's just, you know, when you tell people, uh, what do you do? I play dance, I, I accompany modern dance classes. They're like, it's like the dog yeah. you know, looking at you like, okay, I don't know what that is. And then you're like, well, I don't know what that is really either. In the arts, one of the things that can be a challenge as well is trying to interpret what people's communication is. Because you said a lot of times they'll come and say, can you play this quieter? But they don't always mean volume. Sometimes what they mean is less intense, a little bit more relaxed. But the words that they use 
can be interpreted in different ways. And so the key is to try and look at the situation and say, okay, what do they really mean by what they're telling me? Because, you know, a lot of times they say, oh, can you play this with brushes? And so as a musician, you say they want quiet, they want background, but they might want something as intense as something that's really high energy, very fusion. It's just a textural choice versus using sticks in those environments. And so I find for me in a lot of the uh, recording sessions that I've done, when they request something, I have to then interpret and say the terms that they use are not really what they intended to explain to me, I have to figure out what they really mean by what they're asking. And often it's what they're asking is not what their intention is. They just, they don't know the terminology. And so that can often be one of the big challenges in these situations. Well, and especially most dance instructors do not know music. I mean, it, so once in a while you do get an instructor that does know music and you don't want them. <laughs> But, but you know, it's it, uh, like so there's a, a famous uh, choreographer, Mark Morris. He choreographs from the score. He has the score of the music he's going to use, and he choreographs using the score as a base for where he's going to put his music. So you know, but most most dancers don't know music that well. They just know if they like what you're doing or if they don't. You know, um, but but they they you know, like I said, this one woman said okay, it just needs to be quieter, and that was that was like the aha moment you know it's like okay great yes i i remember how to do this again you know because it's very different each instructor you kind of play slightly different i'm actually really fascinated by your experiences with these because i see this as being a very satisfying artistically creative situation with a lot of challenges in terms of just trying to find the the right situation. So I, I'm actually really inspired by the things that you're doing with the dance troops. I spent about three or four years playing my classes on a lefty set mm -hmm. you know, with some degree of flubs, <laughs> to be sure. You know, I was like, oh, you know, and, you know, I, I originally started with just, a, you know, bass drum, snare drum, cymbal. I added some rototoms, added some more rototoms, added more cymbals. Then I was like, you know, I want to work on my double bass playing, even though I'm never going to play as fast as Siberio or any of these these guys that are out there. It's incredible. You know, you know, I started adding the double pedal and then I added a second bass drum with a more resonant sound, you know, so it, it just kind of developed and they're letting me do it, you know, um, so I'm. Um, you know, I'm I, I just try to support the dance and and play my drums and try to make it fun and exciting for those kids. And they they seem to respond. I get good responses from them. Now, outside of the work that you're doing with uh, dance students, you have had a lot of experience working with a number of artists over the years in sort of different styles and, and different genres. Who are some of the artists that you've worked with and what were some of those experiences like in your development as a musician? Most notable would be Mark Wood, the electric violinist. He was with the Trans-Siberian Orchestra for many years, and now he does his thing called electrify your strings where he brings his uh his uh his vi his electric violins to a high school or a college orchestra and he has arrangements for you know all kinds of tunes you know from kansas to yes to elo and he does so i did his first two records um the first record they both were done up at millbrook studios um i don't know if if you're from the new york area you might have known them paul orofino was the uh was the engineer of that place and that first record was uh gerald veasley on bass he was uh 
Joe Zawinol's bass player and Mark Soren played with Joe Zawinol and, and got him to come and do do that record. And that record was interesting because uh, they had me in a um, in a separate room, square concrete room drums separated from everybody and we, and we did it through monitors we we did the tracks i couldn't see them but they could see me and i could hear them and of course a square concrete room would defy all logic of of sound you know of recording but somehow poor if made it work it was also the it was also the um early 90s so the reverb thing was really big yep on, on drums right so uh, i guess that worked out well for that and then i you know i toured with mark and did that He's kind of like the the only name artist that that I've worked with that you might have heard of. I toured his first record, and then we did the second record, which was interesting. Um, really, more more metally, little more uh, a, a couple of odd time signature things on there too. One tune in fifteen eight, which is pretty cool, and um, that was a really cool record. We we toured it for a couple of months, and then the record company folded. So it never really, uh, it never really saw the light of day. He's kind of the the name that I've been with. I mean, I had I had a local band that that played locally in the Westchester area, mostly original, but some covers, and things were cooking along with that. We finally got a good manager, and 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 my wife was the lead singer. My wife uh, came down with cancer, and and she passed away. So that was kind of the end of that whole band. I mean, I, we couldn't we couldn't really continue without. She was the the heart and soul of the band. So that was kind of the end of that. So, so I hate to be a downer, but so I miss her. You know, my new wife, my 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 second wife is wonderful, Celine. I love her to death. Um, so th that kind of you know that kind of threw me for a loop there. You know, <laughs> you know, because my whole life had been about that. Um, for a while, so did uh, there's a there's a guy named Dave Pettigrew, great, wonderful singer, Christian Christian rocker. I did one record with him. That's about it, Michael. I've been more of a teacher, you know. Um, I, I did uh, a lot of work with a, a producer named Joe Ferry. Did some sessions with him with different artists, but mostly I've been teaching and lately doing these drum covers, these cinematic drum covers. Of course, you know you've seen a million drum covers. We all have, you know. Um, when it's someone like Siberio or, you know, Thomas Lang or Dave Weckl, you we can sit there and watch them play forever. It's it's interesting to us. I don't know how interesting that is to non-musicians, but that's not the point of a drum cover. The drum covers I'm doing are I'm trying to appeal to people that are not drummers. So there's not so much of me in it. I'm just trying to create a really good track that maybe could be the tra the drums for the for the record for the song like i have another song i'm working on i'm doing one i'm doing earth wind and fire now earth wind and fire song now got the tracks starting to do the video part of it and then there's another there's another song i don't want to i don't want to say who it is but there's another song that i've always thought that the drum track was not you know this is my opinion it was not the right drum track for it so i'm going to try i'm going to try to redo that song with what you know it's an experiment i don't know if it'll work so i don't want to say who it is but uh that's the next project so i've been doing more of that i've been basically since since about the turn of the century so to speak um basically been teaching that's been my main thrust well, one of the things that I like about a lot of the drum cover things that you're posting, in particular some of the recent ones, is that they're very cinematic. And what I mean by that is you're actually taking songs that are part of film scores, 
really featuring elements of the film and that, and then adding your own interpretation of those. And I, I find that really unique and very original. So I really like a lot of the ones that you're doing because I get a really good sense as to who you are as a player. So I highly commend you for that. And I hope that you keep doing that because um, I'm getting a lot of value out of the things that you're posting. I appreciate that very much, Michael. So what's interesting about this is because so everything I've done to date has been a song or, or a piece of music that I've always loved. You know, everything I, you know, I've never done something because, oh, I should do a Taylor Swift song because Taylor Swift's popular. Um, like the last one I did was a Yusu Endor song that didn't have any drums on the actual track. Mm -hmm. So so I put the drum, you know, no click. I just laid the drums on top of that. But what's interesting, I did a James Brown, you know, Gravity. Yep. So if you, you listen to that original track, there is not a single drum fill on that entire track. He does he does a little cat 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 right there's like a maybe an extra snare note and then it, and then um the earthman and fire tune I'm doing now there's, there there's no there are no fills. There's one there's one fill in the break. But there's no fills. You listen to a Michael Jackson song. There's no drum fills. There's no drum fills anywhere. So I when I pick a track, I try to choose tracks that I really like that don't have a lot of drum fills in them. My little spice that I'm adding to it is, okay, so here are the fills, you know, because the drum, you know, whoever did those drum tracks was solid as a rock. They're, yeah. you know, I, I just have to match them and then try to add the flourishes where I can to make it interesting. My dream is that somebody, you know, like, you know, James Brown, rest his soul, you know, would, would hear that and say, yeah, man, that was good, man. That's a good drum track. Like when you listen to Siberia, and I much respect to that guy. He's insane. I mean, he's playing over everything. It's amazing. You know, he fits more notes in yeah. three bars than I play in three in three months. But what I'm trying to do is create a musical drum track that that artist would listen to and say, yeah, cool. Except that fill you did when I was singing that last part of my words. But but they're not there there, so I can do it. And another thing I like about the ones that you're posting is that they're well edited, but the way that you edit it doesn't always feature you through the whole thing. There's a lot of other visual elements. And so what what, I, what gets featured is the sonics and the soundtrack of the visuals. And I think a lot of that probably comes from your background and your experience working with dancers, where you're part of this energy and part of this this creative process and you're featuring your work but you're not necessarily showcasing yourself and i think that that's something that i particularly admire because it really from my perspective it really should be the work that's the showcase and not the person that's the showcase and often when it's the person then the work takes a sort of a step back. And so I really respect your approach and the way that you're doing these things. And I think it's it's definitely very well done. Well, I appreciate that. And I and I appreciate your insights because you're you're spot on. And also the other thing is, first of all, I'm not when I graduated uh, from purchase, my teacher Ray DeRoche, I don't know if you know of him, but he was a real contemporary music guy you know, playing music that you don't know if it's wrong or right or any, you know, it's just like, you know, like, you know, that stuff. Um, but he's, you know, he said, great job, man. You're not a showman, 
but you played well. So I mean, I'm not a showman, you know. Um, I play, you know, and half the time I'm doing these things, you know, on this Earth, Wind, and Fire. Half the time I'm looking at my chart to make sure I'm playing it right. I'm the first one to say, "Who wants to look at me?" <laughs> I mean, I, you know, yes, it's a drum cover. You're going to see me, you know, do some stuff. I want those drum covers to be something that non-drummers will watch. And when and one of the tests I give when I do those things is I turn off the sound and I watch it. Is it fun to watch without the sound? Cool. If it's fun to watch without the sound, then I know I did a good job. The edits are, you know, it's like the, M the, the world of the MTV edit. Every mm -hmm. edit has to be like two seconds. You know, it's got to change all the time. So, so I appreciate that you that you're seeing that. Yeah, my my goal on, on those things is to create a drum track that would that could potentially be the drum track, could replace the drum track, and that's with all due respect to whoever did the original drum track. Drum track. So you also said that your focus for the last few years has really been on education and teaching in a variety of different situations. Where did your passion for education come from, and what? is the focus or the main concepts that you really like to instill into your students? Well, when I graduated from, from school, um, my first wife's father was the band director at the local high school. And Joe looked at me, Joe Albright, and he said, you're going to teach, right? You married my daughter, you're going to teach, right? And I'm like, yes, sir. He says, that's great. Here's 30 students. And, and I started, you know, right out of the box. He, I had a full, full slate of students. It wasn't something that I embarked on with the intention of, with any really formed intention. It was, you know, I started teaching because I, I thought I could be a good teacher. Um, I like drumming. Um, I needed to make money because you can't make money just playing in a band, even if you were playing five, six nights a week, which we were back then, maybe more like three to four nights a week. So it's been an interesting journey. So I'll tell you an interesting story. Um, I'm teaching this little boy. Uh, he's so cute. The mom's talking to me and say, yeah, you know, my, my husband took lessons from a guy, you know, years ago, you know, he had a leather jacket and long hair and a leather jacket. At one point I did have long hair and I did have a leather jacket. So I'm like, I don't know. Uh, more too many people in Scarsdale, New York with leather jackets and long hair teaching drums. So anyway, long story short, I come back a week later and she goes, you're not going to believe this. And she gives me this. No she puts this notebook in front of me. It's the notebook that I wrote in for her husband's brother back in the early 90s. So in it, there was about 300 handwritten beats. Right. So I when I first started, I would write out the beats. Right. And and I had, you know, dozens and dozens of students writing out beats, hundreds of beats. So after a while, I was like, maybe I should make a book of beats. So I put together, you know, that process of getting somebody from doing, you know, the basic quarter note four on the floor to ultimately the goal being to be able to do the paradiddle beat, which I'm sure you're aware of. Right. This one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. That's so, so the goal of this entire book and the goal of when I was teaching kids drum beats was to get them to do a really simple four on the floor. That was the goal beat. Once they could do that paradiddle beat, then they were ready to go on to what I use next, which is rock and bass drum. So then they'd go, they'd fly, kind of fly through that. And then from there, they would go to the drummer's cookbook. Do you know, have you heard of that one? Yes. The drummer's wonderful book goes on forever. Every single beat sounds exactly the same. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant book. Kids who do that book get so good. And then ultimately that led 
to me doing this one. So doing the funk book. So that's one thing that came out of, of teaching. You ask deep questions. I, I, I want to come up with some deep answers. Well, what's it? So what's interesting is I, you know, I start every, everybody starts with rock, you know, you start with rock and then once I, once they get to a certain point and if they were involved in the music program, they have to learn jazz if they want to do the ensemble work in high school. So my big dilemma has been, how do you teach kids jazz? You know, um, it's an improvisational art form, you know, um, you know, you can teach them to go ting, ching, ding, ching, ding with the snare on the two and the four, and then they're playing a jazz beat, but that's not what jazz is. How do you teach a kid, a person, the fundamentals that they need to be able to improvise in that style. And that, you know, I did that with my teacher, but I didn't really remember how he taught me. You know, I, I remember that, you know, we worked out of syncopation, all the, um, the Alan Dawson, you know, permutations of that, where the snare reads the line. Yes. Snare, and all that stuff. I don't have a lot of kids that do jazz. I don't do jazz with all my kids. I only do with ones who really want to do it. And before we do it, I say to them, if you want to do this, if you want to learn this, it's going to take a while. But if you're into it, I'm into it. We'll do it together. And I have a few kids who are doing really, really well with it. That's sort of to me, that shows that they're really serious about it. And I tell them because nobody calls me for jazz gigs. I say, you know, I'm a jazz lover. I love jazz. I listen to jazz. Um, I can play jazz style, but I'm not. Nobody calls Dave Lewitt for a jazz gig. You know, I'm not I'm not known as a jazz guy. And that's OK. But I tell them uh, uh, that's my caveat. Like you know, uh, this, I'm not a jazz guy, really. Um, I respect the form. Uh, you know, I, I I practice it. I use it. But th this is this is the real deal. This is where you really learn how to drum. You know, because this is this kind of takes it to the next level, where it's not you're not just reading stuff. You're interpreting and you're improvising. As an educator, you're also an author and have published three books. One was an introduction uh, rock drumming book. You've also published uh, The Book of Funk Beats, which we already kind of referenced, and you also referenced your latest book was The Odd Time Drumming Book. In terms of the funk beat ones and the, and the Odd Time Drumming Book, where did your inspiration to write those ones come from? Good question. Thank you for that. Um, the funk book was originally the, the original title for this book was developing snare and bass coordination in the funk style. So John, John sticks, who was the cherry lane guy, he goes, that title stinks. You got to come up with another one. So give it some thought. So I, 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 you know, I kind of went down the, the, the quasi biblical, you know, book of Eli book yep. of, I thought that was kind of a good way. He said, that's great. Um, so what you'll notice in all my books is there's not a whole lot of ride symbol or hi-hat variations. Everything's eighth notes in, in, in all these books. The reason for that is expediency. Um, and I tell them to, to all my students, and you'll see in the, uh, in the intro of this, it suggests different hi-hat patterns that you can use as well. My interest is to try to, you know, it's more about initially for these kids is, get that snare and bass coordination happening. If they go through this stuff, this kind of stuff for a little while, the funk book, then if they move into jazz, they kind of have that snare bass in, you know, interdependence, inter, you know, independence, interdependence, however you want to call it. Um, they kind of have that. So the, uh, the idea is expediency to learn as many different beats as you can with that common element of eighth notes 
And if you'll notice in the odd time book as well, it's the same thing. They're very, you know, except for the uh, examples from the literature, if you will, um, or most of the beats, you know, there's a few broken patterns in there, but most of the time it's eighth notes, you know, with the extra 16th note to make it, you know, 17, 16 or whatever it's going to be. But it's basically try to keep it as simple as possible so you can work on the snare and the bass aspects of all these grooves. I do tell my students, you can get creative with the hi-hat patterns if you want, but for my lessons, just do it as written. My goal with any of my kids is to get them through my my original beat book, rock and bass drum, cookbook, funk book, odd time, as many books as they can, and that way when they go to sit down and play, they just have that that vocabulary that they can draw upon. I currently have your odd time book on my practice stand, and I've been working through it since you sent it to me, and I'm getting a lot of value out of it, and it's an awful lot of fun. And because it's odd times, it's, it's definitely challenging, but I think that's a great piece of work and something that I think is under-documented in the drum publishing industry because there's not a lot of stuff that really gets into the odd time concept. So I will definitely recommend your book to anyone that I come across that's interested in, in learning these concepts. I appreciate that. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know if it will ever happen, but maybe Hudson will actually do a hard copy of it. One of the criticisms I've gotten about it is this book is great, but I hate digital downloads, but it's okay. Listen, Dom and Joe, they believed in the book and they, they did what they could to get it published digitally. I'm, you know, to me, you know, um, you know, it's great. I, I'm, I'm so happy to have the endorsement of, of, of a Dom Familaro and a Joe Bergamini is, you know, it doesn't get any more. That's about as high up as you can get in my opinion miss dom so much man they've uh, validated me they validated my work so i have to have you know i have a lot of respect and love for those guys um and and especially for dom now that he's gone it's you know yeah i mean i i still i still cry you know about that and i you know i was i met dom right when i got out of college i went to the long island drum center i you know i, I fancied myself a teacher at the ripe age of 22 and I started to try, you know, I wanted to teach for Long Island Drum Center. When I, I grew up on Long Island, that was the place, man. We would go and hang out there. You know, we'd go and, you know, I'd go into the cymbal booth and smash cymbals for like two hours. I don't know what I was doing. Now I just order it online if, it, if I don't send it back. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was the, you know, Long Island Drum Center. That was like, that's still there. Um but I, I just, I, I had a couple lessons with him then. And then, you know, I, I moved up to Westchester and I, I kind of fell out of touch with him. And then we reconnected in the la last uh, couple of years and they, and they, they helped to publish this book. Um, you know, but if I could go back in time and give myself this book, I was born in 60. So right around 71, 72, 73, 74 is when I started to listen, start really started listening. My teacher said, Oh, you got to check out this guy, Chick Corea. And and the Mahavishnu Orchestra, and I was like, okay, what's that? And I got Birds of Fire, and I listened to that, and my it was like, boom, you know, just like, wow, what is this? I didn't know what they were doing. I didn't know it was nine, eight, seven, you know. It was just like, wow, this is the most amazing music. And then one night, my dad, I don't know if you remember this, there was a book, the Mahavishnu Orchestra book. It was a song book that came out. I had my copy for years. It fell apart. And then we had a flood here. We got flooded in Ida and, and it was gone. So it was the Mavish Orchestra. It was basically the the um the melodies of the songs and then 
some kind of version of the drums that was completely wrong. But I open this book and I see this Celestial Terrestrial Commuters, 198. And I'm like, what is night? I it was like, whoa, what is that? So that was sort of the that was the beginning of starting to hear and understand or trying to understand what all those guys were doing, you know, and being the naive person I was in 1973, 74, you know, we thought that kind of music was going to be what it was going to be like going forward. But that aside, that was sort of the beginning of that, you know, and I was listening, I was a prog head. I, I would listen to all my Yes records, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, Genesis records, Gentle Giant, all that stuff every night. I would listen to that stuff and practice my rudiments with my headphones, you know, not not in time to the music, just, you know. And, and you know, I, I was just in wonderment. Like, what, I, I didn't know what it was. That book helped me to start to do it. And this this is sort of the book that I needed when I was when I was 15, you know, although some of the examples are, are you know, more contemporary. But you'll notice a lot of these examples in here, you know, they're all... There are a lot of it's a lot of old yes stuff, my vision. Mm -hmm. it's, it's all kind of from the 70s and the 80s. Some of the tool stuff and the rush stuff, you know, rush stuff is a little more contemporary. But this is what I needed. One of the inspirations for the odd time book was I um I did a couple of NAM shows with Mark Wood back in the early 90s, and I got to meet Billy Cobham, such a nice guy. And I, you know, burning questions. Same with Alan White. I finally got to ask these guys these questions. Ah, what were you doing on Gates of Delirium? Billy, how did you count all those time signatures? And he said, he said, well, you know, it's either a beat or two or three, more or less than four, four. <laughs> that's what he said. So that's the concept of this book. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so everything he did there, he just drew off of, you know, what's the, you know, what's, how do you add a couple of notes to four, four to make it, you know, whatever, five, four, or seven, four. So that, that kind of, you know, is like, Light bulb, you know, goes off. Billy Cobham, one of the greatest, certainly probably in my early years, biggest influence. I mean, I was just a Cobham freak, man. I, I listened to those. I listened to those, what is it, four? I didn't really listen to Inner World that much, but uh, Birds of Fire, Intermounting Flame, Between Nothing, Nothingness and Eternity. I have listened to those records thousands of times. And then also Natural Elements. Do you know Natural Elements? Shock I do not. Oh, you have to check out Natural Elements. It is a oh, brilliant record, man. Oh, my God. Um, but, you know, I listened to those records a gazillion times. Finally got to meet Billy Cobham. It was like, wow, dream come true. He was part of the inspiration of this. He's What did he say? His comment on it was, a great book for the reference library. That's okay. I'll take it. I'll take anything from Billy Cobham. Absolutely. So in closing, what's some of the advice that you would just try and instill into your students in order to keep them motivated and inspired? Well, I try to keep it fun and realistically, you know, probably 99% of my students will probably not continue as professionals, but I always try to relate it to, you know, to sports. I mean, doing drums is like doing a sport. You have to have physical skills. You have to have mental skills. You have to know how to play the game you have to have the physical skills to 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 you know to play the game um and i just i i want to try to keep it fun but i want to keep it educational and the other issue that i have is you know getting students to practice is a bit of a challenge so part of what i do is i have to kind of think about how am i going to teach these kids that don't practice as much how do i keep it interesting for them so that's where the method books come in because 
they can see progress by they've got another page, they got another page. For my students that are serious, that look like they're going to go into it, uh, maybe beyond you know high school, I emphasize that they need to learn technology. They need to learn, start with GarageBand. They should learn Logic or Ableton or Pro Tools or whatever. I mean, I'm a Logic guy. Um, so I, you know, I, I emphasize to them that they should learn that stuff because, you know, as a drummer or as a percussionist, you're not only going to be necessarily being percussionizing, you know, there's mm -hmm. other avenues for work for myself now doing this video editing, you know, I'm also saying you should also learn how to, you know, edit your own videos. If you want to do a drum cover, learn how to edit it yourself. I'm trying to emphasize going beyond the realm of just the drumming thing. They should learn music theory. They should take some basic piano if they're not doing mallets, you know, um, and, and I'm strongly emphasizing the technology thing because I think, you know, that's uh, that's huge. You know, we're on the cusp of the whole thing, you know, my generation, because I when my first wife passed away, I had all I had all the band equipment, which was like speakers and a, and a mixing board. I, I sold it to my friend for like 50, you know, I basically gave it to my friend. I'm like, I don't want to deal with technology. I just want to hit metal and drums. And that's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And then COVID kind of hit and, and then I got this book deal and I learned logic and I learned how to video edit. And now, now I sit in my, now I sit in my basement and do videos, you know, sequestered from the world, you know, uh, and my, my studio is, uh, it's, uh, it's basically a, a eight by eight room with uh, soundproof blankets around it. So I'm like literally cut off from the world. It's like a black box as yeah. you can. So it, it's kind of exactly the opposite of what my intention was. You know, I want to be out there with people and do stuff. And here I am. Um, I'm not really answering your question. Um, I try, you know, my thing with my students is I try to hip them to music. I'm like, do you guys know who Fela Kuti is? I'm very much into Afro music. You know, do you know who, you know, you sue is do you know have you listened to yes you know it's going to require more than 30 seconds of your time yes you know? absolutely and that's another issue um that for me is huge now um had this discussion with this band director i work with um and he you know over the last 25 years the basic level of of music musicianship and he has a really good program there's really but the it's getting less and less he like I'm teaching two high school kids, great kids. They never took lessons through middle school or 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 elementary school. So they're they're you know, they're doing stuff that my seven year olds are doing. They're learning syncopation with the sticking, correct sticking. You know, the the attention deficit disorder <laughs> that that that's been created because of the phones. Where's my phone? If you don't know where your phone is, you freak out, right? I don't know where my phone is, I'm freaking out. We're also scattered, right? So kids, you know, I look at those Game Boy and, and the games they play and they're amazing. It's like, oh my God, that's so cool. Thank God that wasn't there when I was your age. They don't, you know, there's there's no downtime. There's no time for their brains to get creative, you know? It's like YouTube shorts and this, you know, TikTok and this. So there is a little bit of a crisis in my experience that, kids are not doing music as much and thereby the the um the level of musicianship has gotten less and less and i see that big time in drum set i mean i had these kids in, in this town in mamaroneck there's something going on in this town because all these kids are good jazz players and and they're pretty high level 
But in general, I've seen, you know, that that the technology, computers, TV, you know, iPhones, iPads has diminished the amount of time the kids play so they're not as good as they could be. So I try to, you know, I, I try to ex express to them, the more you do this, the better you'll get. 10,000 hours. You know, I said, do you know who Malcolm Gladwell is? Nobody does. But I'm like, Malcolm I Gladwell. I do. So. Of course you do. Yes. None of my kids do. Um, but I'm like, you know, it takes a long time to get good, but you just got to do it. Just do it. You know, I mean, I, I used to, I told you before, I used to listen to all my Yes records. That's a lot of records, even back in 1976, and practice my rudiments every night. I don't know. I got my homework done. I don't know when I did it, but I did it. I got good marks. But I go up in my room with my headphones and put on close to the edge and practice my paradiddles for 20 minutes nonstop, you know, and then flip it over and listen to Siberian Kachu and do, you know, single stroke, you know, I, and dreaming of, you know, of whatever it was I was dreaming of. You know, I wanted to be the best drummer in the world. <laughs> Not possible, but you know that's what that was my goal. The benefits of music education are so great. You know, I just I try to, you know, it, the getting kids to practice is an issue. So I just I just try to say, do it every night, couple of minutes, couple of minutes. So Dave, for people that would like to reach out, find out more about you, or to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, you could uh, Dave Lewitt at yahoo.com, my Facebook page, if you want to friend me or. Uh, Facebook Messenger, um, and definitely if you are a drummer, make note of that um, in in your message. Uh, but Dave Lewis Yahoo .com, my YouTube channel, you can communicate through me through that. I guess maybe uh, David Dave Lewis. I guess that that would be it. It's always a pleasure. Um, we've communicated quite a bit over the last few years through social media, so it's actually a real joy and real pleasure for me to get the opportunity to connect with you today. So I wish you all the best for 2024. Keep doing what you're doing because you're inspiring the next generation and the work that you're doing is essential. It's been an absolute pleasure. Likewise, Michael. Always great to talk to you. I always look forward to checking out your podcasts. Much appreciated. So we'll chat soon. Many blessings. Many blessings. Thank you, Michael. You've been listening to the Drummer's Pathway Podcast. Please share and subscribe, get the word out, and let's keep the discussion going. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>